Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good to see all of you here this morning and worship with all of you here this morning. If I'm not mistaken, this is the first morning that I can remember waking up this winter uh, where it was, too, it was still below zero when we got up. So we've entered the real Minnesota zone. Huh? That's, that's why I'm dressed like a Minnesota pastor. Although I'm Minnesotan, but am I the only one in the room that has never had any of what, that stuff that she was talking about? That Lufska or that... Uh, Swedish meatballs. Is that Minnesotan? What's Minnesota about Swedish meatballs? Where was the other one? Pickled herring? Are we really known for pickled herring? And the breath that goes along with it? Well, okay. I'll just stick with my chocolate chip cookies. Uh, I'm a little sore today, and I'm sore today because I partied so hard on Friday. <laughs> yeah. Woo! The tap! Oh, we had, did we have, that was, uh, I'm just going to tell you this. I've never had the, an experience that was simultaneously so exhilarating, fun, and so profoundly spiritual at the same time. I, I, it's just, it's, usually you don't think of those two things going together, but they went together perfectly. And, and so, I, you know, even as I was out there on the dance floor going crazy and nuts, I'm saying to myself, man, am I going to pay for this? Because I knew I was going crazy. But I said, I don't care. And I don't care. And I do it again. So there, how's that? Being able to touch your toes is overrated anyways. That's, who cares? It's like, okay, so we are in the Christmas. Wait, oh, first I have an announcement. Uh, Mary was probably just about ready to have a bird. He's going to forget the announcement. So I have two actually updates here, and they're both financial in nature, and they're both rather unpleasant. So let's get it out of the way first. Uh, the first one is, is uh, we are running, as we always do around this time of year, uh, a campaign where we're asking people to take some of their Christmas budget and to uh, just submit it before the Lord. And ask the question, how much should, uh, of this should be spent towards others? We're, it's common in the world to live in a close circle of family and friends and only care about your circle of family and friends. But in the kingdom, we're always required to have an open space. Others are always on our radar screen. And so uh, this Christmas, we're, we're raising money on, uh, to address I the issues of homelessness. For example, our tiny home project that we, that we have. And also to uh, help disadvantaged families. To, to, we want to provide some uh, uh, scholarships for them to go to our daycare if they, they can't afford even the low tuition that we have here. And there's some upgrades we need to make. There's more information about all that at, at the help desk. But our goal is to raise $50,000 to meet all of those. Uh, we started it last week, and uh, we were a little bit slow out of the gate. Uh, we're right now at 2500 and, and $0.25. Uh, okay, so I just want to give a heads up about that. Uh, this is stuff that really is very important for us to do. And, uh, and we just, you know, trust that, that if you f submit your stuff before God and just follow his leading, uh, God will be working in people's heart and this need will be met. So there's that one, all right? And there's more information about that at the help desk in the, in the gathering area. Second uh, update is this. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll start with the good news and then give you bad news. So the good news is that we are $56,000 ahead of where we were last year at this time. Okay, that's good news. Wait, 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 wait. The bad news is that last year we were $190,000 in debt. <laughs> we were behind $190,000. So this year, hallelujah, we're only behind $134,000. It still seems like quite a, a, Mount, a, a, a Mount Everest. But this is in terms of our ordinary operating budget. The good news is that last year, in the 11th hour, at 11.59.59, to be more precise, you guys came through, and, and we actually met. I, I honestly, oh, me of little faith, I was thinking, well, we're going to be lucky if we cut that in half. And 
all the little ants came through and carried the log, and, and, and it wasn't one big gift that did it. It was everybody doing a little bit, and we, and we were able to meet that, 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 that need, $190,000. Uh, the bad news is that that's no guarantee that it will happen this year. So don't sit back and think, oh, well, this, this church just steps up in the last minute. Everyone's waiting for everyone else. No, we really need everyone to chip in on this. Um, and, and so there again, it, it's, I, I just encourage you to, to take your finances before the Lord and, and uh, be obedient. Uh, remember, as we're teaching here in the series, everything that happens in the kingdom, uh, it, it's a result of people being willing to be inconvenienced, to be pinched, to have their faith uh, cut into their life a little bit. It's, the, the kingdom begins with our first drop of blood. And as we bleed together, that's what makes the kingdom go forward. Amen? And so we uh, uh, submit that to the Lord and uh, pray that, uh, that these finances get met. It has real implications, uh, negative implications, if the budget doesn't get met. We, we don't have the luxury of the American government to keep on postponing our debt. <laughs> Let's raise the debt another trillion. I know we have to every year make budgets. So there's that. Pray about that. So we are in uh, the series that we're looking at the names of Jesus in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. The whole series is called More Than a Name. And so it says this, For a child has been born for us, and a son has been given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. And he will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time on and forevermore. Father, Help us to see the beauty of what you've called us to do, the uniqueness and the privilege of what you've called us to do in partnering with you. Open our eyes to this beautiful Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we, we dealt with the uh, wonderful counselor two weeks ago, and we dealt with the mighty God last week. So this week, we should deal with the everlasting Father. That's the order of it, isn't it? Instead, we're dealing with the Prince of Peace. And here's why. I don't remember, <laughs> but we had a really good reason for it. But it had something to do with the thematic shuffling or whatever. But uh, yeah, so we're dealing with Prince of Peace today. And I bet by, I'm preparing my message for next week. And, and when I'm doing that, I'm sure I'll remember the reason why we had switched the order. It will come to me. Meantime, let's just deal with Prince of Peace. All right? Is anyone like really disappointed that I'm not dealing with Everlasting Father? Can you hold off a week? Are you okay with that? All right, good. I didn't want anyone to be disappointed or you know, mad at me or anything. So, so Prince of Peace. Um, in, 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 in the Hebrew concept of peace is, is way deeper than our typical concept of peace. Uh, we tend to, in the West anyways, uh, if, if there's a ceasefire, if people are not shooting at, at each other, we, that qualifies as peace. Oh, good, we have a peace a treaty or something. We stop shooting at each other. Though there may be a ton of violence going on beneath the surface, as long as it's not, you know, on the surface, we think it's peace. The biblical concept of peace is way deeper than that. It's, it's shalom. And it does imply the absence of conflict, the absence of violence. But it also, it's not just a negative concept. It implies something positive. And, and the positive is this. It, it, it's when something is being and relating the way God created it to be and to operate. Uh, when things are as God created them to be, there's a harmony there. There's a wholeness there. And, and that is what the concept of shalom conveys. Uh, the, the absence of conflict is like the minimal definition of it, but the reason why there's an absence of conflict is because there's a presence of God's life, of God's wholeness. Things are the way they're supposed to be. So the Prince of Peace is the one who's going to make things the way that they were supposed to be. He's going to bring shalom to the creation, harmony to the creation. And he's the Prince who not only brings 
harmony of the creation, but it, as the prince of peace that's describing his character. He's, he, this, this characterizes not only what he's aiming at, but who he is. Right? So, so this is the prince who not only aims at shalom, but he, he attains shalom in a shalom kind of way. The way he gets to the end is by practicing the end. He's able to achieve shalom, peace, harmony, well-being, because he is peace, well-being, harmony, and he doesn't ever violate that on the way of trying to bring it to the world. See, the thing is this. Uh, it, it, it's only, you can only attain shalom in a shalom kind of way. This is a lesson which, if you learn it, you will have outsmarted 99% of the human race throughout history because we can't seem to learn this one. But you can't, the, the, the means to an end can't contradict the end that you're using the means for. You can't attain peace through violence. It just doesn't work. Um, violence always, sooner or later, inevitably, necessarily, unavoidably, begets more violence. And usually in an escalated form. Uh, it's, a, it, it's why history is a very sad very sad, very tragic merry-go-round of relentless eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth violence. It just goes round and round. But we keep thinking, keep buying into this, what's called the myth of redemptive violence. The myth that, oh, if we just have enough of the right kind of violence and kill the right kind of people and use the right kind of laws and have the right kind of bombs, well then, well then we can bring about peace. This will be the war to end all wars. This will finally put an end to it. If we just exterminate the right people, well then we'll live happily ever after. It never works. It never works. It never can work. Uh, Jesus put it like this. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. It's that easy. You, you may, you may you know, live high on the hog on the sword for a while, but if you live by the sword, you eventually die by the sword. Martin Luther King, in a sermon that he did on uh, Christmas Day, on the topic of peace, he said this. He says, The means and ends must cohere because the end is preexistent in the means. Get that. The end is preexistent in the means. You get what you prepare for. And ultimately, destructive means cannot bring about constructive ends. The only way that we're going to have peace is to practice peace on the way to peace. Uh, and so Jesus is the Prince of Peace, not just because he has peace as the goal, he's going to bring shalom to the world, but because he does it in a shalom kind of way. And to bring shalom into a world that is as fallen and as structured on violence as this one, to bring shalom here, to work towards shalom, well, you see, there's already violence, there's already conflict, and, and so you can't avoid that. And you have an option. The way of the world is in the face of conflict, you go eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You use coercive power, you use violence, you push back on it. That's option A. The world's been trying that for all history. Or there's option B, which you don't push back on it. Um, you, you just keep practicing wholeness and shalom, and you absorb the violence rather than push back on it. And so this always involves self-sacrificial love. The way to shalom is always through the cross. Now, I can hear someone in the auditorium thinking to yourself, or maybe it's somebody on the, uh, one of our parishioners thinking to yourself, somebody's thinking to themselves, wait a minute. What's this all this? Liberal, mamsy, pamsy, Jesus attains peace by means of peace business. Come on, read your Bible, Boyd. Book of Revelations, Revelation 19. He rides in there on a big white horse. He's got a sword. He's covered with blood. He's got a commitment to make people believe. And he slaughters all the kings of the earth, those, those immoral followers of the harlot. And, and he slaughters them so the birds come and feast on their bodies. Read your Bible. It's right there. Whew. Don't give me none of this liberal peace business. All right. 
It reminds me of a bumper sticker I saw a couple years ago. It said, actually, it's probably a long time ago, but Jesus is coming back, and boy, this time he's really pissed off. <laughs> what happened? You know, this is, Jesus here comes the first time, and he's, he's love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, never use violence, don't retaliate, da 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 Now he comes back, and he's, got, he's slaughtering everybody. He's like a brave heart covered with blood. <laughs> First time, oh, he may have lost round one, but he's coming back angrier than ever. And so I was like, oh, I get this. And, 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 I mean, are you going to believe this is literally true? Uh, and, and he's literally going to slay all the kings of the earth with a literal sword that comes out of his mouth. What has been Jesus been doing the last 2,000 years? Working on his lats muscles, man, his lat muscles. He, he's going to have a neck that's just bulging with muscles because he's got to, like, come down here. And to show off his glory, he's going to have his hands tied behind his back. So he's like, higher. He's probably going to be like one of those, those copter things that you pull and it spins all like this. So like he'll be a spinning Jesus with a sword in his mouth. And he'll just, like, mow him down. Heads flying off. Oh. Nero couldn't do it better, I'll tell you. Well, come on, really? Uh, the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? That doesn't look like the same Jesus, I'm just saying. Okay, so we have a whole, whole series on this. Two years ago, it was called Rescuing Revelation. And if this is a question that you've got, I encourage you to uh, check out that series because we cover all this kind of stuff. I'll just say this for this morning because we've got to move on. Um, you know, Revelation is an apocalyptic book, remember that? So it's full of symbolism, you've got to keep that in mind. And if you read Revelation with it carefully, with an eye towards detail, and with the conviction that Jesus, in fact, never tries to attain peace through violence, because the Son of God would know that that's never worked. When you read it that way, you'll notice some things. Um, John takes very violent apocalyptic imagery or imagery from the Old Testament, and, and he turns it on its head. In, in, in beautiful, subtle ways, so it communicates the opposite of what it previously communicated. One scholar describes Revelation as an anti-violence war scroll. It's a war scroll. There's battles. Oh, yes, it's ferocious. But the whole point is that you battle uh, without violence. And so, if you read it carefully, yeah, Jesus is covered in blood in Revelation 19. It's gory. But he's covered in blood before he goes into battle. In fact, they sing praises of victory, and he's covered in blood before he goes into battle. So this weird warrior here, somehow he's, he's already victorious, and he's already bloody before he goes into battle. In fact, the whole book of Revelation is about how uh, the victory of the cross, how he does battle, not by slaughtering uh, other people and having their blood on him, but by shedding his own blood. The, the, this imagery of a, a warrior covered in blood, it's a real traditional one. Uh, it was a badge of honor. It was considered when you come back from battle, if you're covered in blood, well, that's a testament to you because you killed them, but they didn't kill you. Yay, look at all the blood of your warriors that you have on you. But Jesus doesn't have the blood of the, his, 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 his foes on him. He's not even in battle yet. No, John is saying this, this one fights by shedding his own blood, by loving his enemies. And throughout the book of Revelation, those who overcome, those who are victorious, look to the world like they're losing because they get killed. But their willingness to die is actually their victory. It's the same willingness to die that is the victory of the Lamb. Uh, they bear witness to a very different kind of God, a cruciform God, a God who wins not by slaughtering, but by being willing to be slaughtered. And the sword is the sword of truth. Jesus isn't trying to show off his, look at me, the no hands need to be used lat muscle sword wielding. No, he speaks the truth. The truth slays lies. 
It's a word that comes out of his mouth. And those kings that got slaughtered, and it's a gory scene. But it's interesting, because all throughout the book of Revelation, they're the bad guys. But in Revelation 22, all of a sudden you find them restored. And they're bringing the glory of their nations into the uh, New Jerusalem. So they apparently got raised. Uh, one could argue, a lot of scholars argue, they said, what gets slain is the old king, what gets raised is the new king. Uh, it's, it's, it's the purifying, purging work of the love of God that's revealed on Calvary that restores these folks. However you put that together, it's not meant to be literal, and Jesus is not coming back in a very bad mood. He's the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. And he always relies on the same kind of power. The power he relies on is not sword power. The power he relies on is cross power. The power of self-sacrificial love. That's what Paul calls the power of God. The cross is the power of God. Uh, in case you're still doubting, check out this passage, Colossians chapter 1. Here Paul gives us a good snapshot of what God is up to in the world. He says, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ. Everything that makes God, God was in Christ. That's why we believe Christ is fully God and fully human. And through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God right now is at work doing something throughout the whole cosmos. And what he's doing throughout the whole cosmos is trying to reconcile everything in heaven and on earth to himself. And he's doing that. He's bringing shalom by means of the blood that was shed on the cross. Now, if you ask the question, well, what's so special about the blood? Was the blood magical or something? What's the deal with the blood? He's not talking about the literal blood. He's talking about the sacrifice behind the blood. The blood is simply the stand-in for the love, the sacrifice that was revealed on Calvary. Like, like when we, we sometimes use that expression too, like the blood of U.S. soldiers was spilt. It's about the sacrifice that's made. And so Paul's giving us here kind of an image of, of like the cross, the crucifixion, when Jesus dies for the world. It's like this explosion of pure, undiluted, cross-like God love that's now reverberating throughout the cosmos. And as it's going throughout the cosmos, it's, it's eradicating from the cosmos everything that's contrary to, to, to shalom, uh, all conflict, all resistance, all, everything that is contrary to the character of God. And instead, it's now bringing the shalom to the whole cosmos, lining up everything to make it consistent with the character of God, so that in the end, the entire creation, every square inch of it, will, will proclaim the glory of the God whose very essence is self-sacrificial love. So it's, it's doing that now. Now, I, I don't know, and no one knows, what it looks like on a cosmic level for the cross to be reconciling everything in heaven and earth. I have no idea what that's talking about, but I'll leave that to God. What I do know a little bit about is what it looks like on the plot of ground we find ourselves on. Because the Bible tells us what it looks like for God to be reconciling the, wor the world to himself by means of the sacrifice of the cross. What it looks like on this, on, on this plot of ground. Because what it looks like on this plot of ground is the church. At least this is one of the primary ways that God is redeeming the creation on this plot of ground. And, and, and the church consists of all those who, first of all, learn about what God is doing and the kind of power that God is using to restore the, the cosmos. And then we're to be the people who are open, our, open ourselves to that and invite it into our life, saying, restore us by the love that is, flows from Calvary. Make us whole. Bring your shalom into our life. Bring your shalom into all of our relationships. And then... That as, our, as we learn the ways of shalom, that in God's design, that then is to be used as a means of bringing shalom to other people. Um, 
God wants to pour God's shalom into us in order that God can pour God's shalom through us. And this is how the church steps into the stream of what God is doing throughout the cosmos, reconciling the world to himself by means of uh, the blood that was shed on Calvary, bringing shalom to the whole creation. Uh, We're to have the same goal that God has and the same means to that goal. The goal is shalom, and therefore the means to shalom has got to be shalom. And what shalom looks like in a fallen world prone to violence is sacrifice, self-sacrifice. The kingdom always begins with our first drop of blood. This is how we bring heaven on earth. This is how we bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. We now know that God is in, a, in, in a, his humble cross-like love is working throughout the cosmos. And so we align our hearts with that. And in doing that, we become the means by which it, it, it continues to go throughout the cosmos. We get to participate in God's reconciliation of the world. Paul sums up the whole thing in Ephesians 5 when he says this. And if you've been here for a year, you've heard me quote this half dozen times because it says everything. Be imitators of God. Mimitai is the Greek word. It literally means to mimic. Mimic God. Do what you see God do. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. So he tells us what it means to mimic God. You imitate Jesus, which is a pretty strong endorsement of Jesus' divinity, if you maybe have noticed. Imitate God. And to imitate God means you imitate Jesus. And to imitate Jesus means you imitate a sacrificial love. Second Peter says the same thing, chapter 2. He says, Jesus suffered for us, leaving us an example that we are to follow. So the cross isn't just something that God does for us. It's the model that we're to imitate. So he says, imitate God, live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Um, okay, well, how did Christ love us? This is the model we're to follow. Well, he was God, God the Son, enjoying the bliss of heaven, but he didn't cling to the bliss of heaven, and he didn't cling to the privileges of heaven, or he didn't cling to the power of heaven. Rather, he set all that aside in order to humble himself and enter into solidarity with our humanity. And if that, as if that wasn't enough, he goes further and he enters into solidarity with our sin and bears the sin of the world on the cross. And as if that wasn't enough, he enters into solidarity with our curse. Because the curse is, is, is pre-existent in the sin. Uh, the curse is simply the, the, the end result of the sin. So he bears all of that. And he does it while we are yet enemies. But we don't want anything to do with him. He does this for us. He goes as far as God could have possibly have gone on our behalf when we couldn't have deserved it less. And then he says, go and do likewise. Now we obviously can't replicate that. But that's the mindset that we're to have. That's the mindset that we're to have. In fact, in Philippians 2, when Paul's talking about how, how, how Jesus uh, emptied himself on behalf of all humanity, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have the mindset of Christ Jesus. This other-oriented mindset of Christ Jesus. This humble mindset of Christ Jesus. This self-sacrificial mindset of Christ Jesus. It is the way that we're supposed to live. It's the way that we participate in God's reconciling work throughout the creation. It's the way God uses us. Uh, to, to, to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven. It is the kingdom. And it's really about all we do. Uh, God loves you and wants to save you, but, he, but in doing that, God also wants to use you to bless and save others. God is a triune God. Relationality is, is built into God's being, if you will. Uh, other-orientedness is built into God's being. So everything God does has a you focus to it for sure, but it also has an other focus. So when God blesses you, you got to know this is the economy of the kingdom. When God blesses you, it's for you. He wants you. He loves to bless you, but he also does it so you'll be a blessing to others. 
And God loves you. He does love you just for you, but he also loves you so that you'll be a conduit for him coming into loving contact with others. Uh, everything God does for us, God wants to do through us. And that's his project, this, this project that the world doesn't know about, the secret power of cross-like love that is now permeating the cosmos and reconciling all things to God. And we get to participate in it. We get to be a part of this. Uh, it's, it, it's, 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 it's who we do. It's what we are. And so when God blesses us with this building, we give God the credit for every good gift that comes from heaven. Uh, we know that, yes, it's for us. We're going to use it. We're going to enjoy it. But it's also through us for others. And so immediately we start looking at who, who can we partner with? Who, who is doing things that we think are consistent with God's secret project, this shalom project that he's, that's permeating the whole creation from the explosion of love on Calvary? And so we partner with, with different groups and ask how can we serve them and how can they serve us and, and how can we give them space and share with them. And all of that we're doing is a manifestation of shalom. I want us to see this. The Prince of Peace comes to bring peace and everything that we are about is shalom. It's not just the absence of violence, it's shalom, it's well-being. It's how, we're, we want to bring God's life to the world in every way, shape, and form. This isn't a little, little ancillary thing of the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel. So there's a couple pastors who were taking a tour of the church last year, the year before, or whatever it was. And, and um, at the end of it, you know, they're seeing the different ministries that we have. And, and, and it's kind of a new concept, all this partnership. And one of them afterwards said, you know, that, that is so nice of you guys. Um, most churches just focus on saving people. And I said to him, well, that's our focus too. Um, but we just think salvation is for the whole person. <laughs> it, it, the shalom can't be compartmentalized like, oh, here, we'll just take care of the well-being of your soul. You're on your own for everything else. No, it's, it, it's, it, to love a person is to love the whole person, right? And, and so, so shalom, it looks different depending on the need that you're meeting, but it's all Shalom. So, so, yeah, it's a person who's got a starving soul and is aware that they are estranged from God and need a Savior. Well, shalom might look like them coming to a, into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I don't want to just focus on that. Uh, for a person who's too hungry to think about heaven right now, and, and they have kids who are too hungry to, for them to think about heaven right now, shalom there looks like food. And if a person's thirsty, shalom looks like something to drink. And if, and if a person is discouraged, shalom will look like encouragement. If a person's in a bad marriage, shalom might look like marriage counseling. If they're drug addicted, shalom might look like a support group. If they're feeling alone, shalom might, might look like being embraced in a community. If shalom is that they're invisible people, it looks like them inviting them to a party where they get to sing and be superstars. It looks a million different ways. It takes a thousand different forms. There's no recipe. It's all done on relationship, but it's all of it. It's about people sacrificing to bring shalom to others. What can we do in our life to replicate Calvary, to bring about shalom in the lives of different people? And it's just so beautiful that it's so varied. It looks so, but it's just, it's, it's, it's the kingdom. This is the kingdom, folks. God's a blessing to you in order that God can be a blessing through you. Uh, and all we do is manifesting that, that, that shalom. You know, it's like the idea that, get this, the idea that the point of salvation is to escape hell. I think that's what this pastor thought, like, our job is to make sure people don't go to hell. So, so that's what they focus on. I mean, they'll do some extra nice things, but this is the main thing. You see, that idea is just so, that is such a truncated, shortened gospel. The purpose of being saved is, is so that you don't go to hell. Um, uh, you're on your own on everything else. Sorry, buddy. Look at, that's like saying, that's like saying, the point of being healthy is to not be dead. <laughs> kind of a minimal definition of health, wouldn't you think? The parallel, it just hit me, the parallel is perfect. The point of being healthy 
Not being dead is, to, to not be dead yet, is a fringe benefit. Sorry, I'm spitting all over the place. I do that when I get anointed. Here comes the anointing. It's a fringe benefit. But, but that's not the point of being healthy. Uh, no, so also the point of salvation, yeah, you know what? You don't have to worry about going to a place that was never intended for human beings, hell, but however you define that. Yeah, you don't have to do it. But that's like, that, that's, a, that's one consequence of being part of God's shalom, being involved in God's life. No, the, the point is of being healthy is to live now, to enjoy your health now, to live to the max now, to use your healthy body to do helpful things to other people. It's about the now that's, that's important. And the same is true about salvation. Yeah, the, Paul talks about it as we were saved, we're in the process of being saved, and we shall be saved. But the one that we're in is right now, we're in the process. And so, so this is where our minds are to be invested, our hearts are to be invested, not about what's going to happen in the end. And right now, you're talking about the whole person. We're not just supposed to care about their spirit. Or, no, it's the whole person. The physical stomach, the spiritual heart, their mind, the whole person. We want to manifest God's shalom to the whole world. Now, I want to end with this. I want to convince us in the next 10 minutes, if you're not already convinced, that this is, this little humble cross-like power, this willingness to suffer on behalf of others, to sacrifice on behalf of others, it is the hope of the world, and it's the only hope of the world. Now, you, can have, you should accept that by faith if you're a follower of Jesus, because I just showed you in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, that this is the hope of the world. This is the power that God relies on. And this is the power that we're invited to participate in to bring about the change in the world. But I really want to convince you, so I'm going to throw in another argument here. Because, see, see, I want you, this week, for some reason, I just all of a sudden had more conviction around this than I've had before. And I've had a lot of conviction around this, some of you know. But it's like, I'm so convinced of this. So I, I'm hoping that you'll get so convinced that this is the only thing that has any hope, that you'll be completely invested in this program and are much less concerned about the other programs that are operating in this world. All right? The power brokers who use coercive power and, and violence and whatever to, to make changes in the world. Here's the thing. I already showed, number one, I, I already showed this, but I wanted to re reiterate. There's no way that any of the governments of this world or any program or any organization that relies on coercive power that's enforced if, through violence if necessary, there's no way that they could ever bring about everlasting peace for the simple reason that well, just look at the track record. They never have. They never will. It's in the nature of things. Violence begets more violence. Uh, and and th that just tells you then, if there's any hope for the world, if there's any hope that we'll ever wake up from our idiocy and this tit-for-tat insanity that we have, where we just keep on inflicting pain on, on each other and the merry-go-round goes round and round, if there's any hope of humans ever outgrowing this, it's going to, I want us to see this, it has to be done by a different kind of power. All the kind of power that the power brokers rely on, the power of force, the power of coercion, all the things that establish governments also erode those governments. And nothing that is built on that foundation can ever be everlasting. Either there is no hope or the hope of the world relies on people who don't have their trust in the coercive kind of power, the get-my-way kind of power, the impose-my-will-and-other kind of power. they rather have all their trust in the power that happens when you start to bleed for other people, when you replicate the cross. Uh, the Prince of Peace is, builds an everlasting peace only because he goes about it in peaceful ways. Secondly, I want us to see this. Um, the power brokers of this world, the only, the only tool they have in their toolbox is power over others. Power to, to, to manipulate crowds. Power to control behavior. That's all they can do. 
all the systems of the world, all the ideologies, all the debates that we have, all the philosophies about how government should run and how should rule and what kind of rules should you have and how much freedom and how much blah, 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 blah. It's all a form of behavior modification. That's all that the world can deal with. And that'd be fine except for the fact that behavior is not the problem. Behavior is never the problem. It's what we noticed, oh, that was bad behavior. You have to go to jail. But the behavior is always simply a reflection of the heart. The problem is not the behavior. The problem is the heart. Uh, the heart, the Bible portrays it, is we're fallen. We've got fallen hearts. If you want proof of that, look at the world, because everything we do expresses what's on the inside. Jesus said that. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of your heart. Out of the heart proceed the issues of life. What we've got right now is simply a manifestation of our collective hearts. We get exactly what we deserve. Uh, it, it's, it's, and all the world can do is shoot at symptoms that will never get to the heart of the issue. Are you seeing this? So, so you know, we can have different opinions about what, what, what form of behavior modification is best. Uh, do you like the Democratic behavior modification? Or how about the, the Republican behavior modification? Uh, well, maybe you like the socialist behavior modification. They're all about rules and systems and enforcements. And, and right now we've got this big debate about, you know, whose behavior should be modified and whose behavior should be punished. And, and both sides are saying that the future of America is looking very glim if the other side wins. And it seems like no amount of talking, no amount of evidence, no amount of anything changes anyone's mind at all. Because everyone's in their own silos in this power grid. And maybe it's freaking you out. Maybe you're going crazy. Maybe you think America's going down to two. And, and I, I don't blame you. But see, we got to understand this, folks. All that squabbling, all those opinions, all that fighting, all that hatred, it's missing the point. It's behavior. It's, a, it's amateur hour. They're shooting at the wrong things. They're looking at behavior, and behavior is never the issue. And until you get to the heart, until the heart gets restored, until that heart gets nonviolent, until that heart gets loving, the world's not going to change. So don't get your undies in a bundle about the nonsense that's going on. I think we can all agree, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, it's ridiculous. I spent three hours doing a thought experiment, sort of. I went back and forth between MSNBC and Fox, three hours, just going back and forth and, and listening to both sympathetically. And if I didn't know better, I would never in my life dream that they were covering the same hearing. They're in different universes. Utterly different universes. It's like, there is no hope. <laughs> There's no hope. And I'm okay with that. Because the best they can do is shoot at behavior, and there's not any hope in that. Folks, there's only one thing that can get in deep enough to do the heart surgery that's necessary to change a life, to change, to, change, to change humanity. Laws can't get to the heart. Bombs can't get to the heart. It's only the kind of love that's reflected on Calvary, the kind of love that communicates that you've got unsurpassable worth. The kind of love that's willing to sacrifice for you. The kind of love that says, I, I, I'm willing to be poured out for you because you are worthy. That's the only kind of love that can get on the inside and, and love the hate out of a hateful heart and the greed out of a greedy heart and the perversion out of a perverted heart and the fear out of a scared heart can turn an arrogant person humble and can turn a, a self-centered person altruistic. Only the love of God that's revealed on the cross can do the one thing that's necessary to do, and that is get to the heart and have heart surgery. Have a heart transplant, praise God. Amen. So it comes down to this, you guys. Uh, Jesus, the, the cross, I hope I, I can, you can see here. This is why it's the only hope of the world. Don't even bother with the rest. Um, it's the only, it shows us the way to shalom, and the only way to shalom. What it looks like to move towards shalom in a broken world like this is you're willing to sacrifice for others. 
instead of trying to get your way and impose on others, you're willing to absorb some of that, just as Jesus did. So it shows us the only way that can, if there's any hope for the world, it's got to look something like this, the way of the cross. Not only that, but it's only the cross that can empower us to do the way. So it's both the, the, it's the truth, but it's also the empowerment to live out the truth. And there's no other competitors. This is, why, this is what God's up to in this world. I hope you can see this. This means that what we're doing here, folks, is really, 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 really important. It's way more important than you probably think it is. This is what hit me this week. Not many people know about God's secret plan in the world, including the vast majority of Christians. There's a subversive thing that God's doing. His, the, the love that exploded on Calvary is permeating throughout the whole creation. And our job is to apply it to this plot of land right here, working in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And it's always going to look like Calvary, because you can't attain shalom without doing shalom. That, that's the call. Hardly anyone knows it. But we're promised that this is the way that will win. There is hope for the world. Someday it will overcome. But it, it doesn't look like it now. You compare the church, and the, the small band of people who are actually willing to take this seriously. And it's a small, small percentage. Thank God it's growing. I can see it's growing. But it's always been throughout history a small percentage of people that are willing to actually live this out. I'll take the cheap version, thank you very much. The costless version, thank you very much. As though there was a costless version. So, so uh, it, it looks like it's weak compared to the power brokers of the world, but the promise of God is that this is what wins in the end. See, on, on, on Good Friday, it always looks like Calvary's losing. Uh, it, it, it looks stupid, it looks weak, it looks foolish. On Good Friday, what kind of God gets himself crucified and says he's showing off his power in the process? Do you see how ridiculous this looks? And yet... 72 hours later, something looked very, very different. Uh, Jesus shows with his resurrection that this is the kind of power that overcomes. This is the power. This is, everything else is temporal will fade away. All the great empires have faded away. Yeah? Man, they had some good runs too. Egypt and, and, and Mesopotamia and, and Assyria and Babylon and Persia, Rome, the Ottoman Empire, the American Empire. Yeah, great runs, but they all come to nothing. Waves that rise and waves that fall. And everything is like that except for the one thing that's eternal. And that is what Jesus does on Calvary. It's the shalom of God lasts forever. And there is no drop of blood that we have in this world. We're pushing the world towards shalom that, 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 that is wasted. This is the significance of our life. We get to count. We're in on a secret. We get to participate in this. And this is the thing that's going to win the world. It doesn't look like it. It looks laughable, but it's going to. I encourage you to put all your eggs in that basket. Uh, this is the meaning of our life right here. Uh, and so it, it, it comes down to this. Uh, God's in the process of eradicating all that is inconsistent with shalom in this world. Uh, and it's got to start with the heart. And not with your neighbor's heart, but with your heart. Uh, it's not like, oh, we, we know the secret, and therefore we're pure and can be used as conduits. No, we're always in the process Okay, so it's working in us in order to work through us. But we have to let it work in us. And so I want to encourage you. I, about 15, 20 years ago, I got so disgusted with the violence, the relentless, insane stupidity of violence in this culture and the world that I, just, I, 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 I loathe it. I, I, to this day, loathe it. And I don't want anything to do with it. I got to the point where I would rather die than participate in that. And so I declared war on violence in my own being, uh, in my heart, and in my mind. I, I want to purge all violence from my life, and that's still my highest aspiration. Um, I didn't realize how much violence I had in my heart until I started doing that. 
all the judgments and the opinions and the looking down at and the scorns and all this stuff. It's part of the autopilot that, that, that we inherit from this world, this, this judgment. Anything, anything that violates a person is violence. Anything that violates their worth, therefore, violates them and is violence. We know if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know that every person has got unsurpassable worth because Jesus paid an unsurpassable price for them. Do the math. Anything in your mind and your heart that falls being, that is, that is, contradicts their unsurpassable worth, like, ooh, what a skank, or ooh, why are you eating that third cheeseburger? It, it, that, is, that violates them, and therefore is not appropriate for a kingdom person to have. Um, start with that grid and go after your heart, and, 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 and just start to notice what happens. Uh, and when you find yourself starting to have a commentary, a gossip column, because we all do, we're conditioned to have that. It's eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When, when it happens, do whatever it takes. Use post-it notes if necessary, but to remind yourself of what your call is as a kingdom ambassador. And the call is not to have an opinion about everyone's style, taste, and lifestyle, or whatever. It's to agree with God that that person was worth Jesus dying for, and then get your mind to line up with that, and then get your heart to line up with that, and then get your mouth to line up with that, and then get your behavior to line up with that. And you see, folks, here's the thing. You, you, you come to a, a, a stop, um, a, a red light. Well, if you don't have anything in particular to think about, your mind will just kind of go on idle. And the idol will be the idol that you inherited from the world. And it's going to involve pollution. It's going to involve commentary. It's going to involve opinions, judgments. You'll be playing the part of a parasite as you suck the worth of others to give it to yourself. We all do that. But when that happens, just don't get mad at it, but just set it aside and remind yourself, oh, yeah. What's my job here? Well, it's to be a conduit by which God is reconciling the world to himself, bringing shalom by means of the blood shed on the cross. So in that moment, as you're waiting for the light to change, there's a lady pumping gas. Bless her. Start agree with God about her. And now, see, you're being used as a conduit to bring kingdom blessing into this world. An insignificant, useless, wasted moment that would mean nothing all of a sudden takes on eternal value when you use it to be used as a conduit for God's shalom project of uh, restoring this world. And so it is when you go to the airport, whatever you're doing, become a blessing machine. Become a blessing machine. Disagreeing with God. I, I, you guys, this is a lifestyle change that will take three weeks of intense intentionality to change. To change the habits of your thought. But man, what a difference it makes. If you get to be a kind of mind that your default starts to be the flow that God's doing in this world of kingdom, love, going throughout creation. When that becomes your default, well, then you go to the airport, you're waiting for the plane, but... While everyone else is preoccupied with their own stuff, you're there blessing people. And then, oh, this is next week's sermon maybe, but see, all, when you start doing that, all, the, the thing that keeps us from seeing the new creation that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, the beauty of people, uh, why we don't have trouble seeing the unsurpassable worth, it's all that pollution, all those judgments, all that stuff, all, everything that is violence, it keeps us from seeing the beauty. But when you can lose that and just agree with God, whew, your eyes will be opened up. Paul says, we no longer see anyone from a worldly point of view, but if anyone is in Christ Jesus, look, there's a new creation. There's a new game in town. God's doing a new thing. God's restoring everything in heaven and earth. Back to him. By means of the blood shed on the cross, thereby bringing shalom, and we get to be invited in the process. Would you stand? I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come up here, and if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, please uh, come up here and pray with these folks. I'd love to spend some time with you. And... Um, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, but you're interested in finding out what that's involved, what's involved in that, come up here and talk to these folks. They'd love to explain that to you.
So as we leave here, kingdom people, can we do it as the people who are committed to stepping in that stream, that ever-flowing stream of Calvary love that is permeating throughout human society and all of creation, and align our thoughts and minds with God's thoughts as we agree with God about the unsurpassable worth of everyone we're going to come in contact with. If you're in agreement with that, say amen and go out and do it. Amen. Amen. God bless. See you next week.